set me apart from uh, my old colleagues is that I actually liked doctors um, and, and would work with them. And that's how I was able to make those facilities successful. I did turnarounds in, in some of the more uh, difficult parts of, of Texas and Southern Louisiana, uh, rural communities, the county hospitals. Um, so I did that. That's what I wanted to do. I, I uh, started working in hospitals when I was 15 years old, but uh, my career path led me down the administrative route and I really enjoyed it. Um, but after 20 years, I came to realize that politicians made quite an impact in our industry. And unfortunately, they, they know very little about healthcare. Uh, so uh, I was uh, encouraged to run for office and I ran for US Congress in Houston, Texas and lost in the primary to, um, uh, to a now sitting congressman. And, um, you know, I, I did not want to go back in. I had the opportunity to go back and, and get into the hospital business. And as much as I love it and as much as I love the environment, uh, I, I could not, after a year of telling people that I thought that the industry was broken, that go back in and, and um, continue in the way that I was, I was uh, functioning. I wanted to be a part of the solution. And I continued my campaign. Uh, I, I just self-funded my own campaign for healthcare reform, and I would talk to anybody who would listen to me. And during that time, I, I met some just wonderful people. Uh, Twitter is it's probably the only thing that Twitter is good for is, is <laughs> connecting with people. Um, and I've made some, some lifelong friends uh, that way. But that's when uh, the idea for free care came, because we know that the AMA is not for physicians. They don't represent the physician voice. We know that as patients, and we're all patients, um, are, are struggling and suffering for a lot of the reasons that you described. And what, what nobody was talking about is the thing that is the most fundamental to healthcare, And that's the doctor-patient relationship. That's, that's the hinge. If, if we want to go to absolute basics, af absolute uh, first principles, what is that first initial building block of what we consider to be healthcare, uh, the healthcare industry? It's the relationship between doctor and patient. And what we believe at Free to Care is that the reason why healthcare is, is so expensive and inefficient is because there's too many damn people between those two stakeholders. But anyway, um, as far as my career, I, I now my day job is I work for a think tank in Texas, and I, I work on health policy, and I work with uh, politicians at the state level in various states and in D.C., uh, which has uh, been helpful in, in what we do with free to care. Okay, all right. So how how did uh, let me let me just interrupt a second. Sure. It, I made my I've made my first boo boo. <laughs> of live broadcasting is I actually forgot to start the thing on broadcast when I was introducing the show. So a lot of people missed that. I might have to give that next week <laughs> or just record it separately and then come back um, and post it on YouTube. But whatever, here we're going. We're going to keep rolling um, anyway. So um, I have uh, just for people who are just kind of tuning in, uh, Mr. David Gulott is the executive director of Free to Care. And I'm just asking him to tell us how he got uh, involved uh, with healthcare policy. So let's talk about um, let, let's talk about Free to Care itself. What is it? How is it formed? What is it? You know, who's in it? It's a coalition of, of member organizations. We started off with physician advocacy groups and uh, 
you know, we did well, but then we had patient advocacy groups saying, can we join? Can we be a part of this? And as we, as we went to some of the physician leaders, we talked about it and we said, you know what, that really only makes sense. Because if we believe that healthcare is about the doctor-patient relationship, it only makes sense to have the patient involved in the advocacy for all the things that we Correct. believe. Correct. Yes. So it, it, it was. It's a natural marriage, um, and you know. And so it seems like that's that's been missing in in, in yeah. policy. Correct. I mean, yeah. Oh, you know, and like I said, uh, of the thirty organizations, a total of eight million, but seventy thousand docs. So we have way more <laughs> patients than we have uh, physicians, although we're all patients. Uh, say that. Say that again for everybody to hear. That yeah. how many, how many organizations, uh, how many members are involved in this coalition? You know, I'm going to say this is, this is this is not something you you find every day. Well, not at all. And and I'm going to say with certainty that I don't know what those numbers are because we have two more organizations that joined today. So I'm going to be getting those numbers. So the numbers I'm going to be giving you are conservative, based on old information. Okay. The organizations representing over 8 million people, which is inclusive of over 70,000 physicians. Yes. And that is far more than what the American Associ Medical Association has currently, <laughs> correct? <The total> Probably <laughs> in the last 20 years. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, uh, my goal is to surpass the AMA because uh, they're, they're no friends of the physicians. And they uh, right now we're at 52% of the physician membership of the AMA. Uh, have, is that including the medical students that are automatically in or? I think so. I think oh, so. okay. So the paid physician membership. Okay. All right. We got some, we got a little ways to go. <laughs> we, got ways, we got ways to go, but you know, we're, we're going to do it, uh, do it the right way. And uh, we have medical students as well. We've got the Benjamin Rush uh, Society, yeah. a part of our organization and they're, they're fantastic and proud to have them on, on board with, with those students because it's very difficult uh in the medical schools these days uh, to be aligned because they're not being taught things that, that we believe. Um, Absolutely. Programmed in a certain way to, to, you know, go work for the hospitals, go work for the big yeah. practices. Um, so so no independent practice. That's a, that's a, that's a great segue to just kind of talking about what are like, what the, what are the biggest problems? And you, you've touched on some of these in your intro about yourself um, and a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, free to care, but talk to us about like what what free to care foresees as the biggest problems in the uh, medical care system that we currently have. If you go to free to care.org, free the number two care.org, on the very uh, first page, the home page, you'll see a button that says platform. And if you click on that and you go to page four, we have five areas that we want to assert that we want to address. We think that. Uh, addressing these five issues or um, categories of issues, uh, we'll be able to to fix a lot of things in healthcare. Uh, do we think it's going to fix the problem in, in total? No, but we think it's going to address a big chunk. And so we look at talking about uh, drug prices and bringing them down, particularly understanding the supply chain and, and all of those middlemen. Um, and, and, and if I may, let me just tell you some things that we've done in, in some of the areas now, let me do that afterwards. Let me just go through the five. But bringing okay. drug prices down. The second is strengthening a safety net for the vulnerable. Um, the third is, is fostering fresh models to pay for medical care. People are different. Healthcare is local. Uh, people want solutions that make sense for them. And, and we have several that uh, we, we know that we like and we see and we 
understand that they work. Uh, number four, reversing the physician shortage, which is really important. I've talked about earlier how healthcare is about the doctor-patient relationship. We have a shortage of doctors. We have a shortage of primary care physicians. Um, and honestly, a lot of that is manufactured by Congress because they're limiting the amount of residencies. We have another organizations, another organization made up of assistant physicians. These are people that have gone through medical school and just have not uh, matched in residency. So we've got trained kids that, that, uh, that want to get further along in their training. Um, but we talk about a physician shortage here, the willing. And then the, fat, the fifth uh, area is, is transparency. Um, let me tell you about a few of those that I'm really proud of, because you have to remember, we're still a young organization. Yeah. Two and a half years old. Yep. And two and a half years ago, nobody knew what a PBM was in Congress. Right. They, they did not know. They thought that was just another three-letter acronym that uh, they were going to gloss over and hand to their, their healthcare expert. Today, they know what PBMs are. They've legislated on, on, on the issue. They're writing bills on it. We've been a part of the the, uh, the solution. Right, no. Yeah, slow down because we have an audience that is that are that is that is not well versed in a lot of these acronyms. So, I'm uh, you know, uh, yeah, that's right. Don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> we're going we're going to slow down and go back. And you know, and I just want to remind the audience that this is this this is just an introduction to what free to care is, what our organization is. So, a lot of these terms you will hear uh, repeated throughout. There will be repeated themes on what we think are the problems in healthcare and how to how to how to solve them. But David, going back to PBMs, PBMs are pharmacy benefit managers, and they are a um, a, a, a there was multiple of them. There are large ones, there are small ones, and their role is um, supposed to be to uh, to to contract and negotiate lower prices for lots of things in healthcare, uh, particularly pharmaceuticals um, for, for patients. So, all right, now, now continue with that. And there's so much I'd love to say about that, but we have, we have time and we have lots of episodes to cover that. Um, so we have really educated them on that particular issue, the issue of the middleman, and it's not just the PBMs, there are other right. letter acronyms. And, uh, we're, we're making a difference We're those, those organizations are now on their heels. And we, you know, one thing about us is that, uh, we don't relent. Uh, we continue to put pressure. The other yeah. thing that, that, uh, we have a lot of, of pride in is the hospital price transparency. One of our member organizations was instrumental in, in getting uh, an executive order in the last administration to yep. patient rights advocate. Um, and, uh, you, you don't, again, the, the, the relentless nature of, of our volunteer leaders in this organization just astounds me and, and makes me so proud. But uh, that hospital price transparency became a law after a lot of work this past January. And so what, what happened? Are all prices transparent? No, the hospitals are choosing to pay the penalty instead. So now uh, our organizations and our people are going to their respective state leaders and looking to make transparency state law so that we don't have to rely on the federal government alone. Yes, and yes, a lot of these issues that we will be bringing up and, and the solutions that go along with them are things that we can fight not only at the federal level, but also at the local level. Um, you, you mentioned the PBMs already and lots of states, including my state, Ohio, um, are, you know, is, is 
is probing hard <laughs> um, into the PBMs. We've gotten the news organizations involved um, with this as well. Um, so that that's a that's a big problem um, in the transparency issue um, as well. There's state state legislation kind of all over the country that is requiring uh, transparency transparent prices um, from hospitals, large health systems, um, and independent practices, all of that. So lots of battles going on that uh, you, you're right. Uh, some, a lot of this is stuff that we've introduced and a little, a little bit here and there is going to get us a long way. Absolutely. So, and I will say this too. Um, we, we do a lot of good things in, cre in, in creating good messaging and getting good legislation uh, pushed along. But the other thing we do is we kill a lot of bad things. Um, and as satisfying as, as pushing good policy forward is, uh, killing stuff is a lot of fun. Absolutely. And, and, and especially if we kill it before it even makes it into signed law, um, because it's so much harder to get it out once it's in You're there. You're so, so right. And, and I'll tell you, it, it doesn't matter who's in the presidency, what party is involved. It's, you said it correctly up front. It's not. Healthcare is personal. It's not partisan. It's not a matter of what party you belong to. They both get it wrong, uh, to be quite honest. That is that is true. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So we are going to how how are we going to address this? What what are what would you say are the uh, the priorities at least? Yeah, just over the next year or two for free to care that we are going to you know use to help solve these problems. Well, we're 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 big proponents of you know we're going to keep pushing on with transparency. We're going to keep pushing on with eliminating the need for these um, useless middlemen. Um, we're going to push for uh, alternative forms of coverage. We're looking really to invite um, new models of care, direct primary care, direct specialty care, direct pharmacy. These are, these are areas where, you know, honestly, it shouldn't make sense if we had insurance that worked the way it should, because why do we have insurance? Why with these large organizations that are supposed to negotiate better rates for us, for services and goods, why is it more expensive than if we had to pay cash? And that's, that's the case for many, many things. You couple that with the fact that most people have a deductible of $5,000 or more in this country. And only 80% of those people in this nation um, ever hit that deductible amount. That makes, that makes us functionally cash payers. If yeah. that's the case, that's where direct primary care, direct specialty care, direct pharmacy, direct surgery. If you look at uh, the folks at uh, Surgery Center of Oklahoma and, and many mm -hmm. other organizations like them, that's where healthcare makes sense because it's a relationship between doctor and patient at an affordable rate with good outcomes. Yeah, so that that brings me to um, kind of really the point again of this podcast is to introduce everyone to uh, not only the the problems but really the roots of all of these problems. Well, why is it happening? Why is it there? What started it in the first place? Because I, I truly believe that that is going to help us get to the point where we can actually start peeling back the layers of the things that have um, uh, of this. Uh, you know what? Let me just, I'm going to use the metaphor, peeling back the layers of this just smelly, rotting onion that has become United States healthcare. 
um, the, the big health cartel yeah. that we call it. And we really need to peel back all those layers, reveal it, um, and uh, you know, drop it in the frying pan, season you know it all yeah. up, <laughs> and, and just get, get you know, and then yeah. get that smell out <laughs> of the house and make turn it into something delicious, um, leaf flavored. Um, again, that doctor patient relationship, but 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 the, but the goal is to uh, to teach, educate you all um, about these issues, and then also educate you what the solutions are, and then advocate for you and with you. I mean, I want to encourage you and inspire you to help us um, fight uh, fight this big battle. Um, and, and make all these changes. It's not going to happen in one big sweeping piece of legislation. We saw that with the Affordable Care Act. Um, that's that, that's one bill that's very, very long, lots of pages that still didn't solve our problem. So um, that, that definitely is not the full solution. Uh, so, so the next steps. So what would you tell people um, to do? How can they, if they have an organization or if they are a patient uh, and they're interested in, in joining Free to Care or at least just kind of being part of the solution, what advice do you have for them? This is what I would advise. As far as, as being a part of, of Free to Care, Right now, we're a member organization. We're, we're looking to change that to take individual members in the future. Um, but stay tuned for that. There's, there, we're, we're looking at some, some significant growth this year, um, and we're looking to do some, some exciting things at the, federal and, and at the federal level and in certain states. Uh, but what would I advise patients? Um, find yourself a primary care doctor. Find yourself a doctor that you trust and that knows you and that you know. And uh, uh, that can be a part of, 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 of uh, what you want to accomplish. You know, insurance has, has ruined the doctor-patient relationship. Um, it's, been, it's been a real shame to see what has happened. Uh, and I know for many of the physicians who are watching this, uh, you see that the, the intervention by the insurance companies trying to practice medicine, um, creating more administrative burden to where you're spending less and less time with your patients. You're in, in many cases uh, facing a corner instead of facing your patient and, and uh, putting in, uh, you know, you're, you're doing more data entry than you are practicing medicine. And that's what needs to change. Look for the options where, where you're not buying into the status quo. Um, when you are purchasing or when you're paying for healthcare, ask for the cash price before you even give them your insurance. Mm -hmm. card, say, I want, I, I want to know what the cash price is. Uh, because oftentimes they won't give it to you if you give them an insurance card. Uh, more than that is true. And they will, what they will do is they will, they will continue to probe and ask you, uh, you know, for that copay or for that, you know, upfront uh, payment that you need need to make um, before before they they will go through links 
um, before they tell you what the cash price is and, and, a, lar and a lot of these large um, institutions. But if you're going to smaller independent practices, they're a little bit more um, open-minded about that and, um, you know, and, and, and stick to referring you to places that where you can pay cash only. Um, just my personal story, I did tell this earlier yeah. this week, I had to get an MRI on my foot and um, I work in a hospital and my insurance is my, my healthcare plan is my, my hospital's empl employer's plan. And I knew already how much it would cost for me to have that MRI done um, in, in the hospital. And uh, just the MRI alone, just going on the table, getting the images done was about 30, it's about 3,500. That's not even paying for the physician to actually read, uh, read the image and give a report. Um, or, you know, the IV, if I needed an IV catheter place and that kind of thing with the contrast. So I asked the person who was referring me, the doctor who was referring me, um, if there was another place I could go. And um, this particular doctor was a, you know, a, a smaller practice and had a independent imaging place that um, he recommended. And I ended up going there. Um, but when I called to make my appointment, I asked over the phone, um, could I pay cash um, when they were asking me about insurance? And they said, oh, yep. And knew the price right away. I, I didn't, e didn't even hesitate. Didn't. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'll take that. It was $350. Yeah. That's 10 times cheaper. That's in and out. That included the doctor fee for reading the exam. Plus I got a copy of my CD um, image to go with me and the report. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Yeah. And they made a profit. Yes. But yes, it, they did. And that, and that is and that is true of prescription, surgery, doctor visits, procedures, lab tests, you name it. And I, I have just countless stories of how this is asking that simple question has changed people's lives. Yeah. Um, and that, that actually brings up a question from uh, the audience. Um, uh, Mr. Fifty Shades of Saul G, uh, who I have to get a shout out to. He has helped me behind the scenes create this uh, create this show uh, tonight. He is asking, why is medical care so expensive? <laughs> well, I mentioned it before. You know, it used to be doctor and patient. And when people saw that <clears throat> the government started paying a lot of the bills in Medicare, that there was some money to be made. And so then we start to see insurance companies do the same. And then we have intermediaries and other middlemen. We have, like I said, PBMs, we have GPOs, we have just all kinds of, of, of folks that say, you know what, there's some money to be made in healthcare. I want a piece of that. So they start to get more and more in the middle. And that's that, my friends, is where the glut is. That's where they're extracting all the money and providing no value. So they have contributed to the increase in healthcare. And so getting them out and reversing that process is exactly what needs to happen. Yeah. All and right. If, if I may, I wanted to finish, you know, in terms of mm -hmm. what people can do. Oh yes. Keep going. One, well, one, one more, I think this is probably important and people don't really believe it when I say it, but I can't tell you how important this is. In fact, write it down because there will be a test. <laughs> it's actually quite easy. Um, stay tuned. Go to our website. We're going to have uh, a lot of um, here coming 
in the next few months, we're going to have some some more capabilities for getting information out. In our newsroom, we have a lot of things that, that we try to communicate to folks to keep yeah. them educated. But I'll tell you, staying informed, uh, understanding what's going on. Uh, you can also go to our, our, our Twitter page, which is free to care, uh, HC for healthcare. Um, and then being engaged, calling your representatives. Yeah. When, you know, we have a wonderful partner, it's a member organization uh, in free to care called uh, yeah. AMIC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Um, 2.6 million members, I believe. And when we need uh, emails, phone calls, uh, just uh, an, an engaged uh, attack on a particular politician or, or, or a committee, they are motivated. They are mobilized. They make phone calls. And, I, you know, we, we are more effective yep. when we walk into a, uh, a congressman's office and he's already gotten 15 calls from his representative saying, you're going to be seeing these people here shortly. You need to listen to them. It's a different kind of meeting. Yes. Because, because their constituents have called them. So what I would say to you, regardless of whether you're a physician or a patient, get to know your representatives at the state and federal level. Don't just get to know them. Have them know who you are. Yes, that is phone. true. Get their yes. Phone. Get their email correspond with them. Just get yes. to the point where you can do that. And there are ways that you can, and, and we'll be happy to, to, to share that with you. Often you will find that your local legislators, I mean, for, for, for sure, they definitely want to have that conversation with you, either over the phone, face-to-face, -face, email. They want it from you. They don't want it from someone who is outside um, of, of, of their district. Um, they don't want to talk with a, a, a third party. They want to talk directly with you. Um, and so I, I know for sure I have my uh, state senator and rep um, in my phone, their phone numbers um, <laughs> right away. I can contact them. Um, the same thing I too have, I advise the physicians. Um, a, a, a lot of people don't are turned away from the organized medicine for some of the reasons that you described earlier about um, the American Medical Association, but the state level and the county level medical ins institutions actually have a lot of influence on local policy. So I advise everybody to actually get um, all the physicians um, to just become members. It's not a huge time commitment at all, um, but your medical so society will send you emails about uh, upcoming legislation that's important to you. Um, they have lobbyists, they have people already that are paid, you know, with your membership dues to actually go to court and or to hearings and to fight and, and connect you with their legislature, legislators. So I, I have those phone numbers also um, in, <laughs> in my phone and I can call them up, email, text um, right away and I get answers um, and, uh, and, and we just support each other. So you have to make those connections. Um, there's plenty of people who are like you and, and think like you and want to solve these problems. There are some people who have different different opinions about how to change and shape that policy than you, but you want to get your voice heard. And the easiest way to do that is locally. So either physician or if you're not a physician, um, get, get in touch with those local representatives. Make those connections, 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 connections. And then there's that further power that comes from being part of a coalition where yes. your collective voice 
has has even more meaning. The, uh, I remember um, a U.S. representative saying, and I was surprised by this, to be honest. I was actually shocked that he said this. I expected the number to be much bigger. He said, anytime we get 10 calls or more in a day on one particular issue, that they consider that to be a groundswell. 10. Yes, 10 calls, right? I was, I was Just 10 calls. That. Yeah, because that shows you how little Americans have been engaged um, with their legislators. That's that's really sad to me, but it still, still is um, just highlights how powerful our voices are. Uh, yeah. For too long that we 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 have just you know uh, let go of that power and ceded it to uh, the elected the elected. Um, so there's a uh, there's actually a question um, from our audience, and this one is: um, Do you think capitalism and glamorizing the role of physicians has led has led to increased costs? I'm I'm going to answer that. I'm going to let David answer too. Um, I do not. Think uh, glamorizing the role of physician um, itself uh, has not led to increased costs because physician um, fees are a very small portion of your medical bills and your um, uh, any payments to insurance have you know have nothing to do with physicians um, and uh, you know the hospital costs all of those things are not really directly going to the physician. It's about what eighty twenty, uh, David. If you can correct me, about eighty percent, or no total of the total uh, healthcare dollar that that is spent, um, seven and a half to eight cents goes to the doctor. Okay, right. So it's even so it's smaller than that. Yeah. yeah, that's not what they take home. That goes to, um, you know, they they may take one cent of that home. The rest goes to overhead and expenses and employees and things like that. Correct. And a lot of us are employed in large health systems and we're salaried anyway. Um, so we don't even take home based on, you know, what, what patients are coming. But can we get penalized um, for how much we bring we bring in? Absolutely. Um, but the second part of that question is um, capitalism. Capitalism. I think that capitalism itself has not led to increased costs. I think that it's the crony capitalism and the um, development of what we call these oligopolies, where these large health systems are combining with ins ins insurance um, <laughs> networks, um, with and the, and like we talked about the the three letter organizations, the PBMs and the GPOs combining um, and making secret, opaque deals that no one else knows about. Uh, those are the things that are actually driving up the cost. But David, what do you have to say about that? We haven't had a capitalistic healthcare industry for over 60 years. Mm -hmm. the, 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 very, the very first step needed in a capitalist model is pricing. When was the last time you went in the hospital and saw their price list? You, you rarely ever get it even after the service. Um, it's 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 hidden. It's secret. It's the way they want it. They don't want you to know. Uh, so no, it, it could possibly have had a capitalistic system because we don't know what pricing is. Not only that, you know, the crony capitalism uh, is exactly right. You hit it on the head. Let me, you know, we talked about pharmacy benefit managers and group purchasing organizations. These are huge organizations. Uh, they, you know, I think the top three PBMs, for instance make up over 80% of the market 
three companies make up over 80% of the market, all in the Fortune 50. Huge, very rich organizations. Let me tell you how they've grown in power so quickly. In 2003, under a Republican president in the Medicare Optimization Act, PBMs were given a safe harbor. They were given an exemption from a certain law. I want you to listen real quick carefully to what I'm about to say because you're going to need to wrap your brain around it. They were given a safe harbor from the anti-kickback statute. They were given the ability to have the same business model as the mafia and conduct kickbacks. That's how they've been able to influence drug prices and enrich the insurance companies and themselves at the expense of the patients and the employers. That's not a capitalistic model. Yeah. That is not, you're right. It's not. <laughs> I mean, it, well, it is, but it's the ugly side of capitalism, correct? Though, because because they're they're making money off of it. <laughs> I don't think it's the same category. It's it's yeah. it's yeah. erroneous. It's you know, yes. it's 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 government picking winners and losers, and it's it's disgusting. That is true. Because yes, yes, because we have government in the middle of it as well. Yes, uh, uh, absolutely. Yes. So, um, and just for the audience, uh, we're gonna dive into the PBM. Um, and the GPOs and some later shows down the line. So you just so you know exactly who those players are and who we need to take down um, <laughs> in order to, to lower your, your prices and your costs of, of medical care. There was another question in here. Let me just uh, get back to that real quick. And uh, Nico, my dog, uh, wants to uh, make his debut tonight for some reason. I don't know what's up with him. He's uh, he's almost 17 years old and he has decided that eight o'clock-ish is the time where he wants to make his voice heard. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, uh, but yeah, we just we're just rolling with it. He's behind the door, and uh, you know, just shows the human side of my life. He's <laughs> right at her own show, and he didn't. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, what was the question? Oh, oh. Do you think? Um, I, why? Why is the community doctor um, changed so much? Like, well, why? Why? Why don't we see as many community doctors out? Uh, uh, out right now. What do you think that means? I'm trying to understand so I can have I'm, a proper answer. I'm thinking. The question is, I, 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 I think um, he means. Do we? Uh, what What has happened uh, to create to to take away the family doctor office on on the corner and in the neighborhood? Why Why are we seeing so few of them now? Uh, well, you know, that's actually, it's, it's a very sad state of affairs. And that's why we're seeing so many doctors that, that left uh, independent practice to join a hospital or a big group. And now they're going back into independent practice in the form of direct primary care. But the reason they left in the first place was because um, it, it's, it's really expensive. Uh, the average primary care office uh, overhead is... And, and just to collect from the insurance companies is about 40%. So for every dollar yes. that, that you bring in, you're paying 40 cents just to collect that dollar, if that makes any sense. 
Yeah. So, and then you have all the other stuff, all the medical supplies and the equipment and the nurses and uh, the other folks that actually do the care. Almost half goes towards people that are trying to fight for the money that, uh, that, that for, for the services you've already rendered from yeah. the insurance companies that say that they care about their, their membership. Uh, so insurance has just made it more and more difficult. Uh, they, they're, they're intrusive and, and in a lot of cases try to practice medicine. Um, Wait, how much how much of a role would you say that government has played in that uh, with Medicaid, Medicare pricing and uh, reimbursement? Quite a bit, uh, because they were the ones that started in 1965. Um, so in, in, in the AMA didn't really help much either. The American Medical Association, they've become extraordinarily rich by developing the CPT codes that doctors have to use to send the bill and, and on the claim form to Medicare and to Medicaid and to insurance. And uh, they're getting um, payments and residuals every single year in, to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. So uh, they are- Let, me, they let are, me just say, let me say that right again. So there are the people who can understand that because when, when you go see your doctor, um, your doctor writes notes <laughs> and we used to have to do this on paper and then, you know, you know, submit a code for your diagnosis and submit a code for the actual procedure we do. And that includes just a well checkup has its own code. And those are called CPT codes. Um, those codes are developed and owned by the American Medical Association. Yes, the American Medical Association that's supposed to represent doctors and patients and advocate policy. They are making money when a doctor sees you and um, and, and writes down a procedure code. Okay. Oh, so, and that's, and that's those codes, that's a lot of the reason why uh, doctors can't see patients except for in their office. You ever wonder why you have to go in just for a medication refill? It's it's because there's no code to take care of you over the phone. And that's right. again, another benefit of, of the direct model because those doctors have a relationship with you and they're doing a lot of the work over the telephone and FaceTime and by text and email and what have you. Um, so there, there's a better way. There's a different way. Um, also, in the last 10 years, we've seen a lot of... Um, uh, hospitals, because of the codes, the hospitals benefit uh, extra. So they get they get more money uh, if your doctor takes care of you in a hospital than if they were independent. Uh, it's you know, they add on something called a facility fee. Mm -hmm. So the hospitals have seen an opportunity to make a whole ton of money, and in in many cases they make it difficult for doctors to even practice in their hometown or wherever it is they're practicing. Um, they'll bring in other physicians to compete against them. Um, you name it. There, there are plenty of tricks that they play so that they basically force you into an employment situation so that, that they can yes. make money. Yes. Yes. And to that specifically, they actually have, um, as an employee physician, a lot of places you sign a contract when you sign on to work with a health system. And in that contract, you, um, you, you uh, are required to, you know, state whether or not you would be uh, willing to work 
with or not work within a certain radius um, of that health system if you decided to not be employed by that health system again yeah. uh, uh, at some point. And so that is called a non-compete clause of basically saying that you will not compete with their patient share if you decided that you don't you weren't going to work there anymore. Well, guess what? All these health systems are building up these huge, um, covering huge regions. Um, and so there's there's one everywhere. And so it's hard for a physician to, to open a practice without having to fight against those un what I call or unconstitutional laws, because um, it's basically you're restricting someone's right to work. Um, so that's number one. And then number two is in order for a physician to even uh, to start a practice somewhere, say didn't even want to get employed. I finished my training and I want to start a practice. Well, in some states, you have to demonstrate that there is a need um, for more patient care. Um, and it's, it is, and you have to get something called a certificate of need that um, that has the state is telling you, or this your locality is telling you that um, you you are needed here. You have the right to open up a practice here in this location. Um, and so those are things that stifle, you know, the, the um, that community doctor um, being on the corner in your neighborhood. And 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 what really riles me up. Doctor, hospitals can employ doctors. They can own insurance companies. Insurance companies can own hospitals. They can employ doctors. Mm -hmm. Yet doctors, as a matter of law, under the Affordable Care Act, are it, it is illegal for a physician to own a hospital, a facility <laughs> in which nothing really happens except for at the tip of a doctor's pen. Yeah, they, they cannot own a hospital. Again, right, and and the cited reason is is conflict of interest, like. What? <laughs> it doesn't make any kind of sense because everybody else is profiting off it. Isn't it a conflict of interest for them too? If you know, if, if we're arguing, <laughs> well, you know, crazy. And, I, and, and you know, to the credit of uh, these other organizations, they have a collective voice. They go to Washington and they talk to their representatives. Like we said, the AMA is no voice for the physician. They're no friend of the physician. And physicians have had difficulty in the past getting together and, and focusing their efforts. Well, that's changed. And so those are some of the things that we're working on. The, the moratorium on, on physicians owning hospitals, that's something that we're looking at. Not more than just looking at. That's something that we're fighting for. So um, it, it's, it's a restraint of trade. Uh, it's you're keeping from yes. um, somebody who's trained for a very long time doing what it is that, that they need to do in a facility where they have tools that are available to them. So uh, that's, that's one of the things that we're looking at. All right. Awesome. All right. Somebody asked a question I want to put up here. Uh, do you think the medical, medical schools are intentionally not educating the students on the DPC that is direct primary care model of medicine or at a minimum, not mentioning it to them? That is a, Fantastic question, actually, um, and I, I, I would—I'd never even heard of direct primary care during my medical school training. Um, it has definitely become more popular, you know, in the last few years. Um, uh, but you know, the, the concept was always there. Um, so I, I actually don't know the meaning of this. So I personally. Um, 
wrote a resolution uh, last, well, two years ago and got it passed through in my um, state medical association to um, have medical schools actually teach this model. Uh, we haven't had any you know, action from it yet, but that's actually a start that we want um, to encourage the medical schools to teach teach students how to run a practice, how to um, you know practice in a model that they that doesn't require insurance um, because these models are, are needed. And we will actually um, do a show in the next couple of weeks. I have a wonderful guest, an advocate for DPC who owns a practice um, who will come on and talk about it and talk and you know just give you the exact give you some example, of, of just the numbers of the costs um, of, of the care and her type of, of practice. So um, stay tuned for that in a couple of weeks as well. Um, but yeah, definitely. Would you, what's your answer to that, David? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't speculate as, as to what their intention is. Uh, I think that they do, um, they do advocate to work for the hospitals. Um, you know, a lot of the, many of the medical schools are pushing the students and correct me if I'm wrong, Nikki, towards the specialties as opposed to primary care. And, and many of those are, many of those end up in the hospital anyway. So I, I think by virtue of, of how they're, they're focusing these young minds that they are doing that. So, yeah, that is interesting. Um, I've seen that evolve over the years. I, I entered medical school in 90, 1996. And at that time, um, we knew that we are experiencing a shortage of primary care physicians. So our, a lot of the schools were recruiting um, students to become primary care physicians. They wanted to, uh, they started programs that actually you know, developed these very specified tracks um, to uh, mold us into becoming uh, primary care physicians. And actually, I was in one of those tracks uh, in my uh, medical school. Uh, but that's how I, you know, was introduced <laughs> to the field that I ended up, <laughs> ended up in and then I ended up, you know, subspecializing, but that, that, um, you know, but it did sort of work that way. Um, but shortly, you know, not long after I finished my residency training though, the school model changed so that, um, you know, those first two years of medical school were pretty much on a uniform for everybody. So they essentially took away that track. And I don't understand why they did because the, the numbers of primary care shortages were actually continuing to grow. Um, not, not, they weren't decreasing at all. But now we have shortages everywhere. We have shortages in primary care, definitely out outnumbering um, the shortages in the specialties, but there are still short shortages in specialties um, as well. So, you know, the, your general surgeons, um, people who do sort of that generalized care. Um, but what I've seen infiltrating in those pockets, especially for the wellness are these, uh, are these other types of care professionals who are not uh, MD or uh, DO, or, you know, that is the osteopathic trained or the allopathic trained physician. You have chiropractors and naturopaths and, you know, and not saying anything is wrong with them, but they are filling these voids um, where the medical students, uh, medical schools have, um, have been lacking. Um, and we still have Americans who do not get the well care and the preventive care that they need, sadly. 
All right, there was one other. So yeah, I, I don't get the other. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> the translation. <laughs> you, you had to tell me which part I, I said that I wasn't that wasn't so clear. I am trying very hard to uh, use some, not use all these medical terms to confuse everybody because I really want you guys all to understand this. But um, I'm, uh, I'm guilty of the same. So yeah, I'm happy yeah. to repeat and, and say in a different way. But just, you know, if you stay tuned, if really, if you are, you come back and see us each week when I'm here, um, we're going to have on different guests who will talk about these specific issues. This first show is just to kind of to go over all the big issues, kind of general solutions. And then we're going to take a deep dive into these, um, uh, into these issues and solutions as the weeks progress. So um, if it feels overwhelming now or things don't make sense, there will be some recurrent themes that that show up and pop up. So, and yes, um, serendipity, you heard that the pharmaceutical companies can support medical schools. Um, it, it, you know, it, I think it's all corrupt, <laughs> uh, even nursing. So, you know, there, there is a large web of, um, entanglement, <laughs> entangled web, um, that connects all of these, large entities that aren't the ones directly um, practicing the medicine and caring for the patients. And yes, um, so this is some, this is what I've termed. Um, and uh, one of my, my partners, uh, Dr. Karen Gallagher, who is going to be on uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, has given the name, the big health cartel. And um, that is, it, it is all intertwined. And we're going to um, peel back those layers and help everybody to understand how these, how, how all of these systems play in to each other and um, drive up the cost of care, make it difficult for you to access care. And um, yes, nursing, nursing organizations are, are in on this too. Not not the bedside nurses, not the physicians who are there, like, you know, trying to take care of you um, and interact with you it's 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 all the middlemen <laughs> that are in in the middle of this all the bureaucrats yeah we're, we're facing so, a shortage of bedside nurses as well yeah all right so, oh absolutely and that is growing too so you know we're going to tackle all of these issues i want to thank you david for giving me uh your evening on a friday um i really appreciate it so much um supporting me um uh, you know, starting this podcast, if we can take it to the streets, all of these uh, these messages that we need to get out, so that we can inspire uh, you know Americans to uh, not only get involved and uh, make connections with their legislators, um, but also give them specific um, policies or specific things to ask, so that the we can solve the healthcare problems um, all together for all Americans. And I appreciate it again. Thank you. My pleasure. We're gonna, and we're going to have more tools. Go to freetocare.org, watch the podcast. Uh, this is going to keep you up to date as we have more and more tools that uh, we're going to be offering people. So it's important that uh, you stay connected to this show. Um, I, I just have one thing to say about this podcast, Nikki. Is Joe Rogan, watch out. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, I it's going to. I, I hope to entertain too at some point. So I'm going to add in videos here and there and cartoons, a lot of things that will help people understand things, but also just have a little bit of humor with it too. So yeah, watch out, Joe Rogan. Watch out. <laughs> Uh, watch out uh, anybody out there Ben Shapiro I'm, I'm shooting for the moon so you know we can get all of the get, get everybody educated and, and fix this problem so I've um, got a lot of surprises got uh, a few guests quite a few guests lined up that um that initially are all going to be members of free to care but some are just supporters of free to care and support the solutions that we have so that's kind of that's a real achievement so thank you David thank you all right I am going to let you go and then I will close out everybody. Have a good night. Have a good weekend, David. Bye-bye. All right. So uh, I uh, forgot <laughs> to start the prog the broadcast in the beginning. Uh, so <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> so you guys missed kind of like the first 10 minutes uh, of me talking about what the show is. So now that I have you know a few of you here and I have your attention, I uh, just want you to see I uh, want you to know, uh, get that intro uh, from me about uh, what the show is about, what what the goal is, and what I want you to get out of it as well. So um, again, uh, just introduce myself. I'm Nikki Johnson, uh, Dr. Nikki Johnson. I am a medical doctor. I live in Cleveland, Ohio. I um, work full time as a physician caring caring for children. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. Uh, a, a daughter, sister, uh, friend, and I am very passionate about getting Americans the quality medical care um, that they need. Um, what led me here was getting involved and getting active on social media with physicians all over the country um, and, you know, also patients and hearing stories that um, just, you know, some horror stories, some um, just, you know, common experiences that um, we could all relate to that are the problems um, in the healthcare industry, how much it costs for people to pay for prescription medicines, um, how much it costs for um, just to go to the doctor and see the doctor, um, not being able to see the health professional they want. Um, you know, you have a doctor or a nurse, you know, or, you know, a nurse, uh, allied professional that you like to see and your insurance changes because you changed jobs or because of a major um, act or a piece of legislation that, you know, changed that for you. Um, and you don't get to see that person anymore. Uh, with people having to wait, you know, an hour to see their doctor, an hour past their appointment time, doctors not being able to give you eye contact, spending a lot of time on the computer, spending a lot of time negotiating with insurance companies to just get you the thing that they prescribe for you, get you that test you need done, get you that medication that they um, that you, you and your doctor talked about together and decided together um, was, was, was the best, you know, was the solution for you and you can't get it, um, you know, to get you, you know, wellness care. I mean, just to just to, to go see and prevent illnesses. So the list is endless. You guys, you, you know this. So um, being a part of these groups, uh, I asked, what are we doing about it? And, you know, you know, um, lo longer story short for, you know, this was back in about 2015 when I first started, you know, on this on this process. Since then, I have started a um, a co-founded a 
an organization that is focused on um, in increasing um, patients' access to physicians and physician-led care, solving the physician shortage, and also you know preventing uh, dangerous um, uh, expansion of scope of practice for people who are not um, physicians and trained. Um, but that organization is actually a founding organization of free to care, and that's how I met David. Um, through connections with uh, other physicians and other grassroots groups. So we started off uh, in 2019 presenting our ideas and policies in a written form in a paper that you can find on the website freetocare.org. Um, and we presented these ideas and positions to Congress um, in 2019. And we've been lobbying, we've been having meetings after meetings with legislators in the state um, and, and in the federal government going to DC a couple of times since then. And we still haven't really made a lot of headway. Uh, David did mention a couple of accomplishments that we were able to make in the, um, the Trump administration with uh, price transparency orders, um, and um, which some of which was taken away by Biden when he started, especially with the insulin pricing. Um, that that was you know pretty unfortunate, but um, these are things that we need legislators to pass. We can't just have um, you know executives making these orders that can be erased by someone else. So um, so it's troubling having to go back and forth. Democrats seem to have this one size fits all solution to medical uh, problems, um, and Republicans really don't have a cohesive solution. This isn't a partisan issue. This is people want their health care solved. Uh, American, Americans of all demographics want lower costs. They want portability of their insurance. Like they basically, they want to take it wherever they go, no matter who they're employed by. They want personalized care. They don't want some one size fits all um, you know, solution that's going to make them wait longer you know, to see someone. They don't want to wait until they get sick or even sicker, um, you know, to the point of dying in order to get the care that they need. We've seen this happening in the um, in the VA already. Uh, we don't want to give this kind of sort of two tiered medical system to um, to Americans. So. Um, we got to stop letting the think tanks make these solutions, you know, make policy. These are people who have no idea how healthcare works. They know they know where the dollars flow. They know that, and that's about it. Um, and they don't and they, and they don't want to pay attention to the things or or give um, give time and effort into uh, putting for various reasons. Um, some of it nefarious uh, to the things that are will actually cut the cost for you. So why this podcast? Why now? Um, and I'm just giving me a couple more minutes of your time. Earlier this year, I was listening to an episode of Sonny's Corner. Sonny um, Johnson is the host of Sonny's Corner. Her show airs live on Sirius XM channel 125 on Saturdays at 1 p.m. It's re-aired again on, on Sunday. But on this particular episode, Sonny had challenged her audience to reflect on um, and decide what to do with the, the with the first 100 days of the Biden administration, and, and that reflection um, and re resolutions um, internal, you know, where things were, were supposed to be directed to things that you would change, so, you know, things that I would personally change. Um, whatever is ailing me, whatever is ailing society, whatever is ailing um, the United States, and I prayed 
and meditated a few weeks ago, it came to me. I decided I was done waiting on the politicians. I was done having meeting after meeting. Um, I'm still doing some of this stuff too, but I really felt like we needed to take our our message directly to you guys. Um, what um, Pastor Stephen Broden, um, who is an advisor and a mentor, said, uh, "Term, let's take it to the streets," and that's what we're doing right now. We are taking our message to the streets directly to you. So, what we want. Um, what I want to do with this podcast is shed some light, sunlight on the real roots of problems in our healthcare system. I want to bring you realistic, tangible solutions, things that we can accomplish. Um, uh, David is our executive director of Free to Care, and he outlined, you know, our our next over the next year, what we would like to see is more uh, of these transparency bills. We want we want everyone to be able to know how much something is going to cost before you even pay for that medical service, uh, care service. We want to take down these large um, bureaucrats or these middlemen who are getting kickbacks um, and, and not contributing anything at all to your care um, and driving up the costs of your prescription drugs and your medical care costs. We want to take those and take them out <laughs> is what we really want to do. And so that's, those are lofty goals in the next couple of years. Um, but we can't do that without you. We actually need, um, you to mobilize. So we need you to understand what these problems are. We need you to understand who the players are and what to call when, when you call your congressmen or your state legislators, what to tell them that you want to see happen. Give you policies, give you specific policies, point to a bill that might be, um, that, that's gonna be useful and just call their office. And, it, and as David said, it takes 10 phone calls, just 10 phone calls to for a politician to think that this is a major issue that I need to tackle. So if I got two people, you got two people, I mean, but, but you know, in, in a few minutes, we could have 10 people and we could call and make some legislative changes. So I don't want you, uh, I, I want you to learn that medical care doesn't have to cost you your life savings, uh, that you don't have to choose between paying for your bone supply of insulin and your next meal. Um, I want you to help us take down this big healthcare cartel in the crony capitalism laden infrastructure. That's the reason behind all of this. And I, you know, I want you to just be a part of the solution because I know just a take home point. Remember, healthcare is not partisan. It is personal. Um, we want to fix it. So thank you guys for giving me your Friday evenings. I, next week, I will be back um, with a Dr. Farina Khan, who is um, a uh, medical school graduate um, who took a long time to find a, play, a, a way to practice. But she is going to help us talk about solutions um, to bring um, more physicians to you so that you have access to more care um, from a well-trained physician. So with that said, that is uh, that is my show for tonight. Thanks again for tuning in.